<laughs> All right, and welcome back for another episode of the Motivate Podcast. Uh, today we are again excited for a new guest and sort of re-looking at how we support women in STEM. So we are super excited today. We have um, our guest Annie Soler. Um, she is a longtime advocate for educational equity and diversity and the current Vice President of Programs and Strategic Growth with TechBridge Girls. So welcome, Annie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. No, this is this is great. And I think um, just for our guests listening today, yeah. how Growth Sector got connected with TechBridge Girls is um, you all do a great job of doing outreach into the community and also working with staff and admin who work with women in STEM. So that's how Ivana and I got connected and we're actually a part of um, your learning cohort for admin. So we thought it was super appropriate to have you on today. Awesome. That's one so, of our newer programs. So I love that you're a part of it. Oh, great. And I didn't realize it was super new. Um, but While me- we're shooting kudos out there, I'm just, I was so appreciative to be a part of this past cohort um, with the learning community. I've met so many great women and um, practitioners all across the country. So again, just give it out the kudos while we're on this. Awesome. Bridge girls. Um, so Annie, can you start off by giving us some, um, maybe introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us a little bit about how you began working um, in STEM and specifically supporting women in STEM? Sure. Uh, so again, thank you so much for having me. My name is Annie Solaire and um, I have been doing educational access work for about 20 years now, formally. Um, But I think the work that I've been doing started back when I was a student myself. Um, I've always had a strong belief in human rights and the dignity and value of each human person. And so all of the work that I've done stems from that primary belief system. I was doing uh, college counseling for a number of years for first-generation college-bound students um, out in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And then um, while I was there, I got a doctorate in international multicultural um, education uh, with an emphasis in human rights from the University of San Francisco. At the time, it was the only uh, doctoral program in the country that had an emphasis on human rights, which I thought was just really cool and special. And so... um, yeah, that's really kind of like launched out. And so I've done a ton of different social justice type of work. And then I made my way over to TBG only six months ago. So it's still pretty new for me, but it's been really fun and really exciting um, because it's this uh, different way of addressing educational access and ultimately access in general uh, for communities that have been underrepresented or disenfranchised from spaces. So I'm excited. And I, I think you are like textbook, what you studied and like your your doctoral work is um directly related and like the research you've done is directly related to the work that you are doing right now. So it's really cool. Thanks. And and you were kind of already alluding to this as far as your influences and and um I think with your position at TechBridge Girls, it'd be really cool for our listeners to hear more about um, you know, how you got involved with that work and, um, you know, your favorite part about being this advocate for change through TechBridge Girls. Yeah. So, you know, the, I, it's, I don't know how to say this, but like the piece of the work that we're doing, it's not about convincing folks. 
that that black and brown students deserve a spot at the table or convincing folks that black and brown folks or women belong at the table in careers, right? That's not actually the conversation. Um, It's about so much more than that and it's bigger. And so I think the piece is around addressing both systemic change and individual lives simultaneously. Um, you know, you you can focus on one or the other, and both of them are so critically important. And different organizations really specialize in doing that work. And so throughout my personal career, I've had the opportunity to be on multiple elements of that like river, as it were, um, being upstream and downstream, trying to address um the root problem and trying to understand how that impacts directly with individuals, both in the current and in their future lives, right? Um, And so at TBG, one of the things that I'm excited about is that uh, we have been able to distill our programming down into two primary tracks where we're trying to address both systemic and individual impact on students. And so that's the piece that is just the most exciting for me here at TBG is that I get to kind of incorporate both of those elements at the same time. Um, The two of you are part of track one, which I see it as the systemic change work, um, where you had the opportunity to really do a deep dive into equity and then equity within the context of STEM specifically. Um, And hopefully it has had a a very positive impact on your own uh, (laughs) own engagement (laughs) all of this work, right? Um, and that's going to stick with you, presumably, for the rest of your life in some capacity and just be one of the many building blocks that you're able to continue to do your own equity work as, a, as an individual. Yeah, um, thank you for saying that. I feel like, because um, Ivana and I both participated in separate cohorts, um, just coincidentally, but um, mm-hmm. we have a ton of like internal conversations within growth sector and what's really cool is that we, and as we talk about systemic change, um, we touch almost 30 other campuses around the country, right? So um, as we start to think about, and um, as we do professional development training with um, our support specialists and our counselors and faculty, I'm curious from your perspective, um, what you have seen or viewed as best practices um, specifically around um, supporting black and brown folk and women in general um, in STEM? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of different elements to that. Um, Our framework really focuses on being, doing, and using. And I think that that, uh, our framework really speaks to the question that you're asking. And so let me kind of unpack that a little bit for you. (laughs) So we we believe in, we've established a framework called the STEM equity framework, a uh, very creative name, um, where we say being STEM, doing STEM, and using STEM. What does that mean? So being STEM, when we're talking about this in the context of working directly with young people or um, women and gender expansive folks that are interested in engaging in STEM, what does being STEM mean? It's about acknowledging that the story, the traditional STEM story that has been told intergenerationally in this country is an inaccurate story. It's telling the male white narrative that we've all heard, you know, Einstein, Newton, right? All these guys, don't get me wrong. They've contributed a lot, but it's about acknowledging that actually that's only a piece of the story and that the story has 
a huge amount of contributions from women, from women of color and from gender expansive folks historically and currently. And so sharing with folks that actually, it's not that we're now beginning to invite women to the table. It's that their story actually was erased from the narrative. And so they actually belong in the original story and they have been part of STEM. And so that's a big, that's like the first piece because if someone can't see themselves in that space, then they feel very alone and they feel very isolated and it feels like this immense uphill battle that feels impossible. So dismantling that. (laughs) So, you know, retelling the story correctly and also talking about why it is that that story has been written that way. Why was it that we're trying to maintain the status quo as a, as a country, as a society, right? So that's, that's being STEM. Then doing STEM is diving into the actual um, way of thinking about STEM, right? So it's not about memorizing a bunch of facts. It's about trying and failing and trying again and failing again, coming up with new hypotheses, trying different ways to address and approach a problem that doesn't necessarily have one solution or maybe hasn't even been solved before. And so allowing students, but also educators to get comfortable in that space and to acknowledge that like, that's actually what STEM really looks like. If you look at how STEM is traditionally taught in schools, it's about rote memorization. There's only one right answer to everything. But if you look in industry, and I, you know, um, I have a bunch of friends who are scientists, and you look at how they're solving real world problems in their in their organizations, it's not you know memorization. There's not rote repetition because they can't. The problems haven't been solved yet. Look at the global pandemic and the way that. Um, you know, the yeah. vaccine was created. There wasn't a solution out there yet, right? They had to they had to try and fail multiple times until they figure out how to succeed. So teaching that that is the framework and the mindset and that that's actually okay, normalizing failure and trying again, right? And then the third piece is around using STEM. And this is um, the focus on social justice, right? So STEM, it can be and should be solutions to problems in our real world, in our society, right? It also can be for the, like learning for learning's sake. And, and, you know, as an academic, I love learning for learning's sake, but, you know, what really I think is empowering to young people in particular is the fact that they can see a real problem in society and connect that to their own interests and passions and somehow use STEM to respond to that. And then they can affect change in the world. And so, you know, that's how all of our professional development is yeah. framed on. And that's how our curriculum that we offer to young people is uh, framed on as well. And I think, you know, those three concepts really align to, you know, trying to get folks into the STEM, into, you know, the work career space and, and all these pieces. They need to know all those different aspects. No, that is, I, I feel like I just did the masterclass. Thank you. Yeah, right. Like, I wish you guys could hear me snapping on this side. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, this especially, you know, coming off of this cohort, 
Um, but also the work that we do with our students, right, from uh, myself, who works with the Summer Bridge program. So just getting students exposed to Cheryl, who, you know, takes them through an internship process. And for many of our students, the first internship. Right. Um, but that just sets them off on a trajectory um, that I think from both our organizations, we we definitely value um, being able to find this talent. Right. Find these mm -hmm. students and then believe in them. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's very timely right now, especially for myself working with the summer bridge programs. Um, everyone's thinking about recruitment and how do we get this next talent, uh, or batch of talent into our programs. Um, so I know that our listeners would definitely appreciate hearing from your perspective, um, Annie, any creative ways to, to source these kind of candidates, these, these, um, students from underrepresented communities, or especially our women in STEM, um, and, and any effective recruitment strategies that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's really important that when you're doing recruitment and trying to get folks from diverse backgrounds into a space, that um, the work doesn't start, stop, excuse me, the work doesn't stop with recruitment. Yeah. Whatever is is said, to convince someone to join, like we're a diverse environment, we're a great community, we're supportive, all these things. If you say it and then it doesn't exist in reality in the workspace, it's all lip service and people get wise and then they move on. And that's how you get turnover. And so I think it's really important that whatever values you're putting in place and you're promising to prospective candidates that they actually exist in real life. And so I think that's a big piece that um, a lot of organizations struggle with because I, we're at a point now in this whole national DEI conversation where we know the buzzwords. Mm -hmm. We know what it is that we're supposed to say to get people in the door because we know that um, more diverse thinking provides more diverse opportunities and more diverse outcomes. Um, you know, women's way of thinking is different than men's way of thinking and being able to provide a space for them at the table is really important, right? We all, we know all the things that we're supposed to say, but it's about actually doing it on the other end. And that's the part that gets hard because that requires organizations and individuals within organizations to do the hard work yep. of naming and acknowledging their, how their identity their personal identity and the organization's identity impacts how they engage other people. And they have to actively work against it because we live in a society that does not actually value this notion of DEI in the workspace, not really. Um, and it's very easy to fall back into what has always been because it's it's the path of least resistance. And so I really think that if you want to do a good job of recruiting folks, you need to make sure that the environment that they come into is genuinely like a decolonized space. Yeah, and I, I think a big part of that is like ongoing um, support. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to retain our students, we need to support them. And that has to come in different venues mm -hmm. so and all the way down to our staff, um, making yep. sure that they are culturally competent in terms of making an inclusive space for um, these students that we're bringing in. So yeah, I, I, I totally like vibe with everything that you're saying that it, um, it, it's, it's a full system that has to be supportive of. I, and it's continuous. 
the being, doing, and using. I'm going back to that. <laughs> and but it's continuous work. That's the other piece, right? It's not like you do it once and then you can check it off, right? Like, no, no, you have to keep doing that work. You have to keep asking those questions, keep reevaluating the policies and systems that are in place within your organization, because you can recruit 20 women to come and join. But if every time a woman gives a suggestion around the table and then no one hears it, and then a man five minutes later says the exact same suggestion and everyone goes, wow, what a great idea. You're going to lose the women. They're going to leave. Exactly. And so you have to renorm your space so that when a woman says that you can affirm and, and hear it and validate that it was her idea, not, not somebody else's. Exactly. And I think for, um, for our students who are listening to this as well, um, many are gearing up for their first, maybe second internship opportunity or research opportunity where they're going to be going into industry for the mm. Right. So definitely an exciting time for a lot of our students. But um, for our listeners right now who are mentally starting to prepare themselves <laughs> entering into this space, um, do you have any advice specifically for students who are entering into um, companies where they may be underrepresented or um, classrooms? Definitely. Like we, they, they deal with this every day that they might be underrepresented as well. Um, any mm -hmm. that students can kind of um, hone in on as they are um, entering these spaces as being an underrepresented being? Yeah, so at, I, I can speak to that from my own experience as well as just from, you know, the my learnings and, and the research and all that fun stuff. Um, but I think something that's really important, and this is much easier said than done, you need to remind yourself every day that you you have the right to be there because no one else is gonna remind you of that. And then you need to find the folks that are your allies and your support. Hopefully there's at least one other person that looks like you or shares some identifier with you that, that resonates and you can lean on each other and support each other. Um, but know that you belong there and remind yourself. And one of the other pieces that helps me when I get really frustrated, when I feel as though I'm in a space that I'm not being heard because I'm a woman of color, um, I name that to myself and it, and it, it allows me to remember that it's not actually about me. Yeah. It's not that my idea is stupid. It's not that I'm too, you know, too new to the space and I don't understand. It's not that, you know, I, uh, I'm not really aware of the situation. It's like, no, it's that there is systemic racism and systemic um, sexism and those things are getting in the way. And by naming that, it reminds me that it's not actually about me, which, yeah. you know, when you, when you're in that moment and you're feeling powerless, it's helpful to remember that it's not about you. Um, yeah, that would just be one, one suggestion that I have. That's, that's exactly what our, our students need to hear. And, and, you know, we hope that in our, um, you know, with conversations we've had with students and just even in our programming that we are helping them to realize that, right? Um, but, you know, also on the other end, I, I think I also want to ask about advice for practitioners and faculty around supporting women um, and any from your expertise, um, how do they also kind of create those environments um, and easy ways that, that we can share that with them? 
So I think, again, going back to doing your own work is really, really important. Um, And acknowledging your own privilege and positionality. So if you're a practitioner working with young people, you need to acknowledge your power in that situation, right? You're the adult, they're the student, or they're the the younger intern, um, and you need to acknowledge that positionality. And then you layer on top of that whatever other identifiers you have around, you know, race, gender, um, orientation, et cetera, and how that maps on in relation to the people that you're engaging with, right? The young people in the room. And you need to know, it's not about guilt or feeling bad, like, oh no, I'm I'm a white person, therefore I feel bad that, you know, it's not about that. Yeah. It's about acknowledging, okay, I have white privilege. So what does that mean? How do I name that and acknowledge that in the conversations? How do I acknowledge that my pronouns are she, her, hers? And that gives me a level of privilege in, in a space because it's normalized, right? And then by naming and acknowledging and doing the work around my own understanding and continuing to learn about how that impacts the students or the other folks in the room, um, that is the first and most important step to being able to create creating that space of belonging for your students. That, and and that's exactly what, you know, in our conversations with um, faculty and practitioners we work with, um, and even, you know, this takes me back right back to our, our tech bridge meetings, um, the learning community, um, yeah. where we did a lot of acknowledgement, right? And, and um, you know, there was a diversity of folks in the room. Um, and I think the way that you folks, you know, facilitated and made sure that everyone felt valued, but also everyone knew their assignment, right? And knew where to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. That was also really incredible to be around. Oh, I'm so glad that it was such a powerful experience for you. <laughs> yeah, no, we um oftentimes go back and talk about like what we learned and then how we can implement it in terms of the support that we are providing for practitioners and students network wide. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity um, and shout out to Tech Girls because um, we definitely got a lot out of it um, for sure. It's definitely having impact on the STEM core network for sure. Awesome, um, most fun. Yeah, Annie, I, so, um, you know, it's called the Motivate Podcast, and we look to motivate um, our students and our practitioners um, network-wide. So um, to maybe wrap things up, if you could leave us and our listeners with a motivational quote or um, something that you would like to leave our audience with as they move forward on their STEM journeys and STEM pathways. Oh, goodness, a motivational quote. <laughs> I should have come more prepared. <laughs> or even just um something that you 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 would advise living by as um STEM learners yep. or STEM practitioners. Not necessarily it's your quote. We're quoting you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh goodness. Um yeah, I think you know, in order for the world to get better, the world needs all of us. Like each one of us. And this is not a very quotable thing. This is just more of a, a final dialogue. But yeah. um, I really feel like each person has their own gifts, talents, strengths, and passions. And when the world is broken, which it is right now, I think the world is broken because we are not are denying people the opportunity to share those gifts and talents with the world. And each piece that is not shared is breaking the world. 
And so every single one of us has something to give and something to contribute. And if we are able to figure out a way to work together, you know, like we, we need it. We need you, the students, you know, the practitioners, we need you too. We need each and every single one of you to be able to actually fix this world that we have right now. So. Annie, you and I schedule monthly calls so that I can. That was you off the cuff. That was, <laughs> that was me off the awesome. cuff. That was awesome. Oh, great. Annie, thank you so much um, for your time and all thank of the work that you are doing to um, really impact change because we feel it, we see it, and um, it's definitely appreciated. Um, well, so thank you so much for all the work that you both are doing and your organization's doing um, to have such a positive impact on women in STEM. Great. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Semcor. We'll catch you on the next one.